and welcome back, folks, to this, our last episode of 2017 of Make Mine Multiversity, a Marvel podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gregory, and we're excited to have you with us today. I want to take a moment to plug some of the other podcasts on the Multiversity Network of Podcasts. Um, as you know, if you're coming if you're coming to us, finding us on, on Apple Podcasts and iTunes, uh, please go check out our, our site, our multiversitycomics.com. There are a number of wonderful uh, other news pieces and reviews and other great podcasters on that site, such as um, our sister show, the DC three cast, a similar style show um, where they focus just on DC stuff. And then also one by another good buddy of ours, Paul Lai of the comic syllabus, which is a good in-depth look at this whole thing that we love of comic dumb. Um, but we're here to talk about Marvel stuff. And so I'm joined today by Jess and Nick, who have been with us on a couple other episodes. How are you guys doing today? Good. Excited to talk about these books this week. Yeah. All right. Same here. Sweet. Lots of uh, recent interesting news things that we'll get into. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> so uh, this is going to be a maybe a little bit... A little bit longer episode than the past two have been. We're going to take a moment uh, here at the beginning to talk about a couple of big news things uh, and then take a quick break and then come back and talk about some legacy updates and then take another break and then come back at the end and talk about um, some kind of Marvel year in review stuff as this is uh, the end of the year 2017. What a year it has been. Um, And yeah, so we're going to start off today with... um, uh, a development that I think took a lot of uh, comic people by surprise, or maybe not. So at the end of, of November, uh, Marvel named a new editor-in-chief in, chief in uh, C.B. Sibulski? Sibul? I don't know. How to <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> We're going to go with that. Generic <laughs> that kind of name? Um, and that I can't say. And... Um, within, I think it was about a week of him being named the new editor-in-chief, uh, the news broke that uh, during Sibolsky's time as an editor at Marvel Comics, um, he also wrote a number of series at Marvel and I think a couple others at Dark Horse. I think that's right. As under the pseudonym uh, Akira Yoshida, which is very problematic because Sibolsky is not Japanese. Um, And it angered a lot of people on the internet and a couple other, uh, there's a lot of uh, news articles that ran got picked up on the national level. Um, Marvel still hasn't, I guess, put on a big uh, publicity statement yet, but Sibulski has gone on and apologized in a couple different places, most recently uh, in the Atl- in an Atlantic article. Um, but guys, what were your initial thoughts when you uh, when you saw this little piece of news? Jess, you want to go first? Uh, yeah, um, I actually didn't know. <laughs> I didn't think it was real. <laughs> I, I thought it was just like this because <laughs> it just sounded so ridiculous that this happened and I, I yeah. thought it was just like some unsubstantiated rumor and then it was real and I was like wow alright really then does sound like a, <laughs> it sounds like a meme like C.B. Sibulski is a karaoke yeah it does yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I didn't believe it at first <laughs> <laughs> yeah well especially because Bleeding Cool I think is the site that broke it mm-hmm. first like that this was actually true and so i think that maybe added to yeah some of the so uh, my jokes my first exposure to this it was before bleeding cool started running more articles about it 
um, because they had run one like months ago before like most people mm-hmm. knew who Sapolsky was or would be. Um, so I listened to that one like really dramatic podcast that used the West Wing names to describe the whole situation. And it was posted months ago, be- again, before people really knew or cared who Sibolsky was. Um, and then I turned into like full investigative journalist mode and I like searched through like previous, uh, like Marvel, uh, like all the titles from around that time and like tried to figure out who, like who the name was. No, I was like, Oh my God, it's Akira Yoshida. I came up with the name. And then I realized that everyone on Twitter had figured that out like 12 hours before. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway, uh, after that, yeah. So I was thinking about it really, I mean, it's, it's kind of shocking in the sense that like, Oh my God, he tried to be an Asian guy. But I thought it was more shocking the fact that he's he was supposed to be the talent like scout. Like he was supposed to find new and diverse creators and he went and posed as one so in order to get writing jobs. And like even if it ended up being a mistake that he ended up writing for Marvel, like if that side of the story is true. Um, I mean, it's still, Mm -hmm. he still took the job, you know, like he still took it from the people that he was supposed to be finding to give those jobs. Yeah. 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 And that, that's a whole other crazy side of it too. Cause, um, you know, I think in the bleeding cool article, it said like as an editor at Marvel, um, like they weren't allowed to, to also write other titles because, you know, it would be like a conflict of, of how they would be compensated for writing those mm-hmm. titles. And so then there's the question of, was he getting paid to, uh, to write as Yoshida and was he getting also getting paid to, to edit um, books at Marvel? And so like, was he getting double paid and is that problematic? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of other uh, pieces inside mm-hmm. there besides all of the, the cultural insensitivity things, which I think are what most people have been um angry about uh yeah and and in terms of just like in terms of what a diverse creator is supposed to do like it raises the question Mm -hmm. of does he understand why it's important because i mean for me at least i feel like having diverse creators is important because they give different voices they have different perspectives and they're allowed to inject things into the stories that wouldn't otherwise be there by a creator who didn't have that sort of background um so to have a white guy like pose as having this other perspective, like it had to get through editors. Did they just not realize that this is a, like that his, his perspective was inauthentic. And then it comes down to like, would Sibolsky himself as editor in chief of Marvel realize why that's important? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't really have <laughs> answers, but I just think it's interesting questions to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and it begs the question too, how much Marvel mm-hmm. knew on, on their side of things too, because um, like as, as Yoshida, like Sobolski did interviews with, with CBR when mm-hmm. he, um, you know, was writing and back in, you know, 2004, 2005, and all that. Um, and there's a, I think it was another Marvel editor who said <laughs> that they had actually met Akira Yoshida and like they had gone to lunch together and like he, yeah, it's something like in one of these articles, 
like showed him his Godzilla collection <laughs> picture, some shit thing. And was like, dude, that's so cool. And it turns out that that was just a Japanese yeah. translator. Uh, so that's weird. I mean, this, this, uh, this went really deep. Yeah. And, and my thing with Marvel is comics are not that big of a business. So you have to think the office mm-hmm. of Marvel mm-hmm. It may be big, but it's not that big. There's no way <laughs> that no one knew this was actually going on. I mean, we, this otherwise, Sobolski's like the best genius we've ever had in comics, that he got this past people. He's a genius in the worst way, sure. if that's the case. Mm-hmm. This is, of all no, the gates sure. that I that have been coming out this year, like whatever gate, like Yoshida gate is probably the least expected. <laughs> Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that begs the question. Um, and I think a lot of people, there were some people that asked this, um, on Twitter and in other places, uh, after, after it came out, um, should Sobolski have, have stepped down or should he have been, been fired from his new editor in chief position because of, because of this? What do y'all think? Um, I mean, even if he didn't step down, I expect something more than, his apologies didn't seem adequate to me because they were mostly just like, right. yeah, it happened a long time ago uh, and Marvel forgave me. And that was it. Like, that's all he said. He didn't say, I understand why it's wrong. This is what I'm doing to help combat that. Or, you know, like there was no sign that the experience had changed him. It was just, yeah, that happened. Let's throw it out, please. You know? Exactly. That That's my thing with it sure. too. It's like, if, People change, and who you are a decade ago is not necessarily who you are now, and your beliefs may have changed, but I don't believe that that is the case with him. I don't know if he's going to turn this around and hire the people that he should hire, and if he doesn't, Mm -hmm. then everyone Mm -hmm. was right about wanting him gone, you know? Because I don't think he should have stayed. I think he should have stepped down. Because clearly there's a lot of weird stuff going on here with this fake name. And maybe like somebody says they met him and and he wrote like the most generic, <laughs> what an American thinks Japanese comics would be like. Uh, with all those Wolverine like samurai books or whatever. So mm-hmm. he, he should have stepped down. Um, but if, but I do think if he wants to prove that he is not the same insensitive guy, that he has time to change the perception of Marvel and hire the right people and put out the good stories and do the things that haven't been happening at Marvel. But he should have stepped down, I think. But there is room for him to fix it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it uh, on, on that point too, I think it begs the the question because uh, some of the articles that I was, I was reading said that part of the reason that uh, Sibulski was chosen to be editor in chief um, over other people was that uh, Marvel is trying to um, bring in a lot of those um, Asian, Asian creators or Asian American creators. And, um, and Sibulski spent time, I think his, la- I mean, his last job, he's, he's lived in Japan for a significant period of time. And uh, you know, like he speaks fluent Japanese, like, so obviously he spent time in that culture now, which doesn't obviously doesn't um, mean that you can write under that culture's name and assume that you know everything about them. And 
and and write those stories. But um, but he does, I guess, have some some context or some pull in that um, in that sphere and those circles of of those creators. And so I think their their goal was to bring in some of those people. And so with with this breaking, um, I wonder how many of those people will uh, when asked to to come write or to come. Um, to come draw or come to come whatever for Marvel Uh would be like, no, we don't want to associate Mm -hmm. with, with this person. Yeah. I I could definitely see people like if people didn't want to work for Marvel already, like this is definitely a reason. Like I, I absolutely exactly what you said. Like I could see people saying, no, Sibolsky is not someone that I want to work with or work for. So I'm just not going to work at Marvel. I'm going to continue doing my own stuff. And then it just brings you back to Marvel not getting the talent or putting out the stories that they should be putting out. So he should have stepped down. He should have just he should have just went his own way or just went back to the job that he Mm -hmm. was doing. He's not really the kind of guy. After all this came out, that you'd want at the top of your publishing arm, as far as Disney is concerned. I mean, I wouldn't. What do you guys know what yeah. exactly his previous jobs were? Because he was in Shanghai. He was, <laughs> doing he was like the guy that Marvel sent to work yes. on outreach in China. I think that but I don't know what his title was. Okay. So because he moved because he actually like I remember people so making I, a thing that he, he had is, actually oh. moved away. Like he had left the country, his family and everything to take this job. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, he lived in Shanghai. He didn't, he did. He lived in, he yeah. lived in China. He didn't live in Japan. Um, my bad. Um, apologies. You're just as bad as him, Kevin. Anyway. Um, <laughs> I suck. White people are horrible. And that is what you should take away from this thing. Um, so his most current position, what he was, of Marvel China brand management and development in Asia. And so, <laughs> It's so not bad. Japan. It's, it's like I can't not laugh Good at God. it because it's so ridiculous. Fuck. All right. <laughs> it's just absurd. So if yeah. if that's the case, um, how do you think that's going to impact his job back in the states? Like maybe it won't lead to more diversity, but maybe he'll still be trying for a more global perspective in the comics. I mean, if if that's the case, he exactly. might end up failing if he doesn't exactly. actually realize why diversity is important. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there were a lot of people like with his with the initial announcement that were that were very excited and like were praising him and had a lot of really good things to say about him. Like people who worked for Marvel and people who worked for DC and people who worked for other publishers, and they thought this was a this was a great move on on their part. And so it might be too that. Uh, if if there are people that are uncomfortable coming to work uh, for Sibolsky, people are uh, minority creators or creators from other um, from other countries, uh, then like we'll continue to get a lot of the same stories that we've we've always had with the same uh, motley crew of of white male creators that have flourished at Marvel for the last mm-hmm. always. Um. Yeah, I don't know, but maybe maybe to transition, I guess, into like a little bit more serious um, side of this whole thing. I wonder too if this is like a symptom of a lot of uh, like larger comicdom problems. And we talked a little bit 
about that and talking about diverse diverse creators and such and and whether or not Cebulski should have stepped down because uh, you know in the last several months uh, with a lot of the um, like sexual harassment scandals that have gone on in Hollywood and then a lot of other um, places in the United States um, and other people have have stepped down or other people have been have been fired from their positions like or like like Harvey Weinstein and, and Kevin Spacey and Garrison Keillor um, and mo- and very recently at DC Eddie Berganza. Um, do you think that that Cebulski getting to getting to stay in this position is is like a symptom of of comicdom or these other large larger broader um, like social things like like what does it say that this that this person who has who has done wrong gets to gets to stay in this in this position of oh power? no go ahead you can um, go ahead like is that is that good mm-hmm. or bad Jess you want to take first thoughts yeah. on this okay um. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily see it as a symptom of the problem, but it <laughs> it is the problem, you know? Like, I feel like mm-hmm. it's just so weird to me. Why would Marvel choose him of all the people who work for them? You know, if especially if they knew that this thing had happened. I, It's just such... It's, it's bizarre. I don't have any words for it. But I... I as we've mm-hmm. been saying throughout this whole thing, I don't really see anything particularly good coming from it um especially like part of me just wonders did marvel do it to sort of make the more conservative like not necessarily conservative but uh that subsection of fandom who is like stop making our characters so like diverse you sjw's you know is it is it was this an a move to make them happy. Mm. And it's such a weird thing too, because it's not like Axel Alonso was a champion Mm -hmm. of diversity, you know? Right. So in a way that would take them backwards, but in all honesty, I think Marvel is a bit out of touch. Um, with comic fandom, I think they're very preoccupied by what the um, what the stores want, what the actual comic stores want, not what the bigger book market is interested in. So they do. It does feel to me that they feel a need to cater to those people, mm-hmm. which are by and large older white mm-hmm. men who don't want to read. Jane Foster, Thor, and they don't want to read America Chavez. You know, they don't care about those characters. They want to keep reading Captain America, Steve Rogers, doing what he does, which is fighting a lot of bad guys. And it's, you know, bringing in Sibolsky after all of this is kind of just them sitting on, on that market. Like, they know he's going to, he's more than likely going to keep doing more of the same. I'm, I'm not expecting him to change things all that much. Mm-hmm. And that's just what Marvel is. That's what they want to be. Their money is no longer in the comics. It's, it's almost all Disney's making all their money off those movies. So Marvel's like this secondary right. thing to them. And Marvel's just going to keep doing what they do because they're going to get money anyway. Yeah. I s- they have no reason to push themselves and do anything different. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of made that point about the movies uh, on the last episode, last time I was on the show. Um, yeah, Sibulski, I wonder, I mean, Hong Kong is the main film industry. Uh, Shanghai is not really near Hong Kong. 
I looked it up after the last show. But um, I, I wonder if there's business offices in Shanghai. You know, like I wonder if that's their way to get to the rest of China, and that's still a pretty huge uh, market for the movies. So I wonder if he was doing outreach relating to that, and I wonder if the movie or if the comics are gonna become even more and more just vehicles to move the movies as if they're not enough already. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I hope not, but mm-hmm. we'll see. Got any, got any last thoughts? Mm. <laughs> well, we'll see when, just that it's, yeah, it's horrible. I mean, we'll and, see a yeah. year from now what we're looking at because <laughs> I, I don't have high hopes. I mean, like I said, he can, he is in the position to do different things, but I, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, I'd say worst meme of 2017. (laughs) Thank you. Good one. Good one. Well, to transition then into uh, some conversation uh, about the movies, um, it was announced, um, I guess, last week, week before last, last week, uh, that Walt Disney is... Uh, has plans to acquire 21st Century Fox at the cost of $52.4 billion. Uh, so Disney will have added uh, 20th, Century, or 20th Century Fox to its number of uh, film production companies. Um, so they'll get all their cable networks minus Fox News, um, like the FX network, uh, National Geographic. Fox had some controlling stakes in Hulu, so Disney would acquire those. They would add to um, some of their... Uh, Fox. They would add Fox's uh, sports networks, and then some of that other stuff would be spun off into another company. And and with that, uh, most of the comic book company or comic book websites uh, covered that. With that, Disney would have the opportunity to then make movies with with the X Men and with the Fantastic Four and the other characters that uh, that Fox had under their control. But I think my first question really is: um, so obviously. Disney has has plans to acquire Fox. Like they they've they've said that's going to happen. There's still there's going to be like a year more of like lawyers and paperwork and and all that other crap before any of this canon could be final. Um, but will this? Do you think this deal will actually go through? I think is my question. Mm-hmm. Like, are we talking for? No I reason? mean, there's. <laughs> I'm my film history. It's been years. It's uh, not as good as it once was, but I'm pretty sure there was at one point, uh, all of the major film studios like had become just giant conglomerates and they just kept on eating everybody up and there were only a few left. And eventually there had to be, uh, I don't know the name of the type of laws, uh, but there were laws to prevent them from just like becoming one huge thing. Like they were already in oligarchy and they didn't want it to just become like a monopoly or yeah, and basically mm. those laws helped open up the – there was more to it. But uh, basically I feel like that sort of same sort of thing is happening now. I feel like we might be on the way towards another uh, giant landmark uh, Supreme Court case in that same vein, just in terms of what yeah. giant corporations are allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really my question too. Because in a lot of the articles that I was looking at, uh, they made the point that uh, you know AT and T uh, a few months ago um, made, has plans now to, oh, to wow. acquire Time Warner. 
um, and Justice Department is uh, yeah right. Uh, Justice Department is 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 pursuing um, like that case and trying to make sure that that doesn't happen. And so I wonder too if um, if the there will be a Supreme Court case um, based on you know Disney wanting to to have Fox. It was also funny too because one of them pointed out that like that that president like that Trump was like very against AT and T acquiring Time Warner because uh, Time Warner on cnn and he was like he's like no cnn can't have it good but like when it was he tweeted when um like the news broke that disney was going to acquire fox like that he was he was excited and uh he like congratulated Mm -hmm. uh rupert murdoch and and all that um so there's like there's a lot of larger i guess politically Mm -hmm. things going on here Um, (laughs) but we're we're here to talk about comics and not the rest of that stuff uh so marvel um so if this deal were to go through, uh, then what what do you think would be like the immediate implications of uh, for for the MCU or for um, Marvel's like TV, Netflix, Hulu output, etc.? Gosh, I don't know because I I am the buzzkill on this. I hate everything about this deal. <laughs> like I, I I had so many people yelling at me on Facebook because there was they were all like, "Oh my gosh, we're gonna get the X Men the Avengers." I'm like, guys, this is <laughs> the worst thing that could happen in pop culture ever. Yeah. Um, I guess mostly because it's like it's one thing if Disney had bought for 54 billion dollars the rights mm-hmm. back to all the marvel properties that's would that would be a completely different thing than <laughs> just buying 20th century fox yeah it's like i'm i'm just i'm so uncomfortable with them the, owning so much media i, I like it's, the it's, idea it's, that it's very they just wanted the fox properties um, like they just wanted spider-man and x-men again so they just <laughs> bought the whole thing like they yeah, have that so power they just bought it all. Yeah. yeah that's what and, all the yeah like I, Okay. I would have been way more into them specifically buying just those properties. It's like I have, I have a very hard time getting excited about the X-Men and the Avengers on a screen together when, like, mm-hmm. everything's owned by Disney now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, a- I, guess, like, I, I guess, like, the first thing that we'll probably see would be, like, Wolverine, a new Wolverine showing up in, like, an Avengers movie or something. Because they've already got Spider-Man. So who would be like the next best guy to just have pop up on screen that everyone would recognize whoever mm-hmm. they decide to cast as Wolverine. Cause it's not going to be Ooh. Hugh Jackman. Do you think that maybe they were planning that? Uh, maybe not, but uh, just because um, Wolverine is coming back with legacy now. So oh, I wonder God, I if that was not. part of like, they realized that this deal was going to happen. So they were like, Oh, we need to bring him back because we're going to have him in our movies again. Yeah. Well, that's that's I mean, the maybe. crutch for bringing back the Fantastic Four. It's like we got the property back, mm-hmm. so like we'll put them at the forefront of the the comics thing again and introduce them to all these kids who haven't read a Fantastic Four comic in the last two years. Oh my god, that would if that's like if that's true. I hadn't thought about the Wolverine thing. I had thought about the Fantastic Four thing. Like that's that's just cra- like that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh. <laughs> what a huge coincidence! Oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if it's good. If it's a good thing to assume that Dis- Walt Disney did this for the, just the Marvel properties because the money's there. Yeah, right, definitely right, not. Right. But right. No. I that's, mean, just yeah. Just like the implications of having all these characters. I mean, it's it's weird because you, you also have to think about it this way, right? They've already made it clear that once the Infinity War movies, Infinity War, right? Once those are done. Mm-hmm. 
that's going to be like a new era for the movies. They've already said that. Yeah. So it's like, if you don't get these actors resigned or you don't decide to recast them and you write a lot of these characters out, right? Mm-hmm. What are you going to do next? Right. So now it's like, well, maybe they did do this solely for all those Marvel properties because now if they can't do these big Avengers movies with all the characters that they were doing them before with, they can shift their focus to the X-Men and just like give us those huge Avengers like movies, but with the X-Men. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm giving them far too much credit. I hate it. I'm sorry. It's so bad. (laughs) Well, and, and I think they've said like, they have like, like 20, 20 movie ideas, like the next 20 movies planned out. Um, but you have to wonder, like, if they've accounted for the fact that they might be able to use all these characters that that Fox has, um, and if they're a part of their their plans going forward. Um, but you're right; we might be giving them too much credit. Me. I had a like a I had a thought because um, there were, we read an article about on Multiversity uh, about um, like the implications of the the deal and like i had this I had this idea for a story that like you know 50 years in the future like when children are born their parents have to sign over the rights for that child's story <laughs> to like <laughs> that owns all the stories of the world um image if you're looking for new ideas i'm available <laughs> uh i need money because i'm in grad school but uh, but just like that's it's crazy to think about the like what what a like a Disney owned um like media story empire would would be. Um gosh. And I don't I don't know that that's a good thing or not, but Oh man. Yeah. I mean like if I have to if I have to be positive about it and think like a fan, mm-hmm. I guess I'm I'm interested in kind of seeing the X-Men redone from the ground up. Um, because I'm not like the biggest fan of the Marvel movies, but I do think there's some really good stuff in there and some characters are really well done. And I'd like to see them do the X-Men the right way. I mean, more, more in line with what I think the X-Men should be, I guess. But the thing that always, the, the thing that I always liked about not everything being owned in one studio, as far as the Marvel properties go, is that it gave another studio an opportunity to do something different. Like, it's a mm-hmm. bummer that this is happening before that New Mutants movie's coming out. Because I know mm-hmm. when everyone saw that trailer for the first time, we had a lot of jokes, because I did too. But the fact that they're taking the characters that they own and trying to do a horror movie with them... I think that's really yeah. interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. The um, All of Disney's Marvel movies, I mean, this has been said enough times, so we don't really need to talk about it, but they're all kind of the same movie over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Um, oh, yeah. And I feel like Fox definitely reached a point where they were like, guys, we need to do something different. And so they started doing... Uh, I mean, even X-Men First Class was really mm-hmm. cool with the way that they tied it into like actual historical yeah. events. And then you had something like Deadpool, which was completely different and Logan, which is a very different movie. And then now, uh, like you were saying, new mutants coming out. Um, like they, they were turning it into more than just all of these movies are the same. And I've, it, I, there's a very good chance that everything because now Disney owns it is going to just go to towards the least common denominator. We're going to get, right. we're going to get quips every few scenes and we're going to get, 
the same kind of formulaic movie where we know what's we know what's going to happen in the beginning, the middle, and the end. We already know what's coming. And I mean, the things that Fox has tried to do with the X Men haven't all worked. But I appreciated mm-hmm. that they were trying to do something different. And and if that new Mutants movie comes out and is actually good, I'm going to be even more bummed out. Because it was it's such a chance yeah. for them to do something different. And even, I mean, people will bring up the Marvel Netflix shows and say, well, you know, those are different from the movies. Well, yes, but the shows are basically all the same thing now. They all are very, they're, right. they're, they're very purposely dark. <laughs> And they keep trying to find more ways to get even darker for the sake of being dark and not being the movies. And thankfully, something like Runaways mm-hmm. has come out, which is actually different from all the other Netflix, from the other Netflix shows. It's very different. And I love it because of that. It's, it's, a t- it's the OC, but with superpowers. It's great. And yeah, it's very good. Oh, and okay. it worries me that they'll just get more properties and they'll miss the point of a lot of these characters and they'll miss that they should be something different. Like, I don't want to see a dark fantastic four movie. And I, but I also don't want to see a fantastic four movie. That's just a straight up comedy. There's gotta be some kind of wonder and whimsy and there's gotta be the exploration side of it. You know, there's, there has to be something different to each of these characters and, and because that's what makes them interesting. And I worry that now they have all this and they're making all this money that they'll see no reason to do anything different because who's going to really compete with them? No one. Yeah. And I will say too, there's a thought that I just had. Um, I mean like Disney owns Lucasfilm as well. And, and not, not at all to, to spoil the, the new star Wars, not at all to spoil the last Jedi, but like the last Jedi has a very distinct feel and a very like it's very much like ryan johnson's movie um and so maybe with the acquisition of of fox that like disney would allow that studio to kind of be able to maintain some sort of um like studio feel like sort of like its own own comic imprint maybe um but if they integrate those characters into the mcu uh then then yeah they'll just be one of the mill characters just like the rest of them so Mm -hmm. I don't know. That's maybe not a fair comparison. And uh, another part of the uh, the Supreme Court Supreme Court case that I brought up before, which happened back in uh, nineteen forty eight. Here it is. I found it. Um, another big part of it was the fact that uh, the Hollywood Studios owns the production and distribution uh, and the theaters. So they owned like every aspect of that and that kind of cut out all other competition and people can already see that things like Netflix and Hulu are becoming so big that they're kind of cutting out a lot of like smaller potential uh, streaming services. And now that, I mean, the fact that Disney owns part of Hulu now is pretty wild because now (laughs) Disney owns the production and distribution of that. And I mean, part of part of that case in the past, uh, once that was dismantled by the Supreme Court, it led to a lot more smaller companies and a lot more new ideas. So, I don't know. I can't help but be pretty pessimistic about yeah, it's this. Bad. Like, yeah. it's, I, I really hope it doesn't no. happen. And I, I didn't even feel bad at all being the buzzkill. I, I didn't. I was like, no, this is bad. And I think... Uh, Hollywood Reporter, it was Hollywood Reporter of Variety estimated like 
5,000 jobs are going to be lost like immediately. Which is terrible. That that's that's yeah. that's like yeah, that's that the too. part of this that right. uh, the fans don't want to see because they're just preoccupied by oh Avengers versus X Men as a movie, which by the way was not a good story. So, right. So, <laughs> so you're like wishing for an adaptation of a comic that wasn't even good. So, um, but they don't want to see the jobs being lost, and they don't want to see the smaller channels, smaller cable networks, and smaller studios within 20th Century Fox being lost. They don't want to see that. And that's 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 the sad part. I mean, it doesn't take much to just yeah. see that this is not like the best thing that could happen. I mean, I get like the fan side of you wants these cool things, but there's a reason that laws exist, and there's a reason that competition is good. And so, I hope this doesn't go through. Yeah, yeah. Well, another interesting aspect, Nick, that, that you just made me think of, too, is like Disney's about to start their own streaming service mm-hmm. as well. That's going to come out in 2019 because they took all their their movies off Netflix. Yeah. Um, and, and so even if they even if they own stake in Hulu, then um, mm-hmm. like what is what does that mean if they're trying to create their own? Yeah. And thing distribution well? uh, or not distribution, but the uh, places where people watch these things like <laughs> streaming services of today are basically what theaters were in the past. So this, I mean, the more I think about it, the more that we talk about it, the more I realize how much this is mirroring what happened It'd be really silly, too, for Disney yeah. to launch a separate streaming service if they have, if this goes through and they have, like, an actual <laughs> interest in what happens with Hulu. Because they could just make Hulu their center for all of that. Because Netflix yeah. is moving away from streaming things yeah. anyway. They're moving towards original programming. So... You know, you're not going to be able to watch, like, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia on Netflix anymore. That's a Hulu thing. But you can watch, like, all of Adam Sandler's new movies on Netflix. So, so yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, you can watch Whether all of his brand new movies because that's what Netflix is invested in now. So, it's, I mean, that's a, that's a separate thing on its own. But it is funny to me that everyone wants to make a streaming service and they're accidentally reinventing cable. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. Um, cool. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick break, hear a word from one of the other fun podcasts in Multiversity, and we'll come back with uh, some fun legacy talk. Hello, podcast listeners. We're the hosts of the DC3Cast. I'm Zach. I'm Vince. And I'm Brian. Each week, we discuss most of the new releases from DC Comics, focusing mainly on Rebirth, Wildstorm, and Young Animal. We also look at the news of the week, discuss the film and television adaptations of DC material, and dig into industry rumors. We've also had a number of DC creators on our show, like Scott Snyder, Jim Lee, Christopher Priest, Steve Orlando, and Joshua Williamson. So, if you like Borat jokes, no bad to Dio impressions, this is bad, what the f***? and an in-depth look at DC each week, join us every Wednesday morning at multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. Come get Jurgens with us and we're back gonna jump into some legacy legacy talk legacy news here first a little bit and then we're gonna get in uh to probably marvel's biggest biggest issue for the month of december um but first marvel announced uh their 
next biggest uh, event, or I guess the next biggest lead-in to their next biggest event uh, <laughs> this last week with, um, yeah, God, that's whatever, uh, uh, called Infinity Countdown. So it's going to start in um, in February. So we, we had all speculated um, because Guardians of the Galaxy is being uh, canceled at issue 150. And so then uh, Guardians writer uh, Jerry Duggan is... Um, starting uh this is writing this infinity countdown story it's going to start with that that adam warlock issue that's going to come out in february that's going to be drawn by mike allred and then um we get the details for infinity countdown prime which is the lead-in to the lead-in to the lead-in of marvel's newest event um a one shot coming out in february from duggan and mike diodato and then uh, Infinity Countdown, which is going to be a five-issue series leading into the biggest of all the Infinity stories that Marvel has published, allegedly, because everything is all new, all different, all big. Um, with uh, So Jerry Duggan's writing that with uh, art from Aaron Cooter. Um, so guys, what are, what, are our, what are our thoughts about um, this new fun Infinity storyline thing? I think I zoned out after... Like three seconds. <laughs> okay. You're describing all that. I have zero uh, emotional connection to any of the Infinity stuff. Um, I mean, if it turns out to be a good story, cool, I'll read it. But yeah, no, no big reaction to the announcement. Uh, yeah, no, same. I, I just, I can't. It's a countdown, and <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's a countdown to a countdown to an event, and I don't, I, I just. I, I, I just don't think I have the, the mental capacity to deal with it anymore. I just, it's so much. And I think with that promo image, like every, every one of those characters has like one of the gems or what are they calling them? Stones. They're calling them stones, stones now. Okay. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like we've had this debate every episode. Are they gems? Are they stones? Are they, are they, you know, medallions? Like whatever. But, the, you um, know, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I feel like something like this would be cooler if it were just like a six issue thing and then that was it. But the fact that it's being stretched out yeah. so much, I just can't, I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's leading into something else. And so, so Marvel put out their, um, like their solicits this last week and in both the, um, the solicit for infinity countdown prime. And then for the first issue of infinity countdown, uh, the word end is in all caps and so i have a feeling that whatever this new event's going to be called which i think it's going to be their big summer thing even though they said when legacy started and secret empire ended that they weren't going to publish another big event for another 18 months um i'm imagining it's going to be called infinity end um so maybe the last infinity story ever Um, but yeah we're either of you for at least like a year, because then they, like they a have to tie into the next they... Avengers movie. Like this one will obviously work into the first right, one, right. and then they'll need to do something for that second one. Yeah, so maybe maybe Infinity Countdown is is this summer's thing, and then Infinity End comes out next summer when the the Avengers four comes out. That would maybe that maybe that's a thing. Maybe we're looking at this wrong. Maybe I'm looking at this wrong. Oh. I don't. Yeah. No. <laughs> are, any of, are either of you actually reading Guardians of the Galaxy right now? 
I am not, no. I've never been invested in the space stuff, despite the fact that I do like that kind of sci-fi. I just never got invested in Guardians of the Galaxy. I really like all the artists that are on it, so every now and then I'll flip through an issue, but yeah, I have never actually read it. I really like Aaron Cooter and uh, Marcus Tuto. Uh, I yeah. don't know how to pronounce his last name, but uh, yeah, I like both those it's artists a lot. It's because we're culturally insensitive white people and we don't know how to pronounce. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> to continue. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not reading. I'm not reading Guardians regularly either. Um, and all the char- like all the characters on here. So I have Gamora from Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain Marvel, because apparently there's some Infinity st- Stone stuff going on in her series. Um, I think that's that's Magus. Is that right? The Adam Warlock's like evil half thing, and then Wolverine and Loki, um, and it looks like a, a super a super scroll. Um, yeah, I'm not I'm not super invested. In any of this, but it does. It it really is kind of interesting, I think, because this seems like the first real big follow up to what happened in Marvel Legacy number one. And I'm I'm curious as to why why it took until March for them to do that. I guess. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um, you keep saying names and I keep thinking that they mean something, but then I realize they don't mean anything <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's my only uh, reaction. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's, that's honest. That's honest. Um, yeah. I mean, if so, it, it feels to me like this is kind of the next big thing after that, after all that. And, and I'm trying to think, I guess, if, if if Legacy, if we're comparing it to Rebirth, how quick DC followed up on all the things that happened in their Rebirth one-shot. But I remember that the immediate next issues for all the series that they were launching were like, they had those Rebirth issues for all the series. And a lot of them followed up on stuff that happened in their one-shot. Uh, um, yeah. Sort yeah, of. Was, like the Flash one did and the Titans one did. Yeah, it was mostly just small subplot stuff. Um, but yeah. I guess you are right. It, there was some small follow-up, um, and almost nothing has been reflected in any of the Marvel books since the Legacy one-shot. But really, for yeah. for Rebirth, it wasn't until um, it wasn't until I think almost a year in uh, that we had the button, which was the yeah. first time that you know any anything was followed up in big, huge detail. And. And the other, the other thing with DC is they've kept any follow-up to Legacy very much, like, as a side thing. Like, it, it's yeah. Doomsday Clock, for all its terribleness and, and some goodness that people have seen in it, um, it's not... You don't need to have anything else tie into that. Like, nothing else belongs with that. It's just Doomsday Clock. So you can still read Justice League and you can still read Batman and, like, all those books are still going to be what they are. Marvel tends to kind of, like, stop the world to tell us about these big events and tie everything they can into these events. And that always take that mm-hmm. is always like my jumping out point for a lot of series, unfortunately. Like I dropped a couple things um, that I didn't catch up with until much later after Civil War Two and what was Secret Empire. There were books that I yeah. just I, I stopped reading and then I caught up on them later because they for two months they were in this big event and at least, like with the, with DC, they haven't done 
these big events. They've had like little crossovers in some of the books and Doomsday mm-hmm. Clock very much right now is its own separate thing. You can ignore it if you want. It's not going to impact what you're what you're reading. Yeah. No, that makes sense. That's fair. Um, it just kind of feels like, I guess, so we're three months in to Legacy. Um, and, like, the tone of that of that one shot, or, like, what, what like, Jason Aaron and that, that whole slew of artists were going for, like, that didn't match the tone of, I think, most of what came out of, uh, like, of that relaunch. Like, most of the series continued to tell the same stories that they had been telling, uh, like, before before legacy happened they just had a new branding on them uh like i was catching up on a lot of series today and yesterday to to get ready for this um and like i was reading like uh like like spider-man and um like jessica jones and like the avengers um and like champions crossover stuff and like these are all stories um that like could have been told whether legacy happened or not like i think the only one that felt like it maybe couldn't have been like that mm-hmm. was was doctor strange because Loki's the new new source of Supreme and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I and I think yeah, you can finish that thought. Oh no, go ahead. Um, okay, so yeah, with Legacy, um, as I said last episode, I was trying to get more and more into Marvel, um, partially by reading older stories, but partially just because I wanted to get more familiar with their current line. Um, but a lot of the current stories. Um, I found hard to get interested in just because there was clearly not just so much more that happened before that, but that they were clearly just continuations of other stories, you know, like mm-hmm. they just slapped the, the word legacy on it. It didn't actually do anything. And yeah, I mean, we'll get into, we'll get more into that in a second. But. Yeah. Well, we can get into it now. I think okay. it's, I think it's really it's really telling too. So, so, uh, so this week with, with the, their solicits, um, uh, they, we realized that, that a, a number of their titles are, are, are going to be canceled at the beginning of the year. Some of these that, that seemed like that they were telling, um, these stories that, that started before legacy. And then now they just kind of come to the natural conclusion or they were, some of them seemed like they, they were probably canceled. Um, so, uh, so the, the Jean gray book, uh, that Dennis Hopeless is, is writing is being canceled with its final issue in January, which is also when Phoenix Resurrection ends. Yeah, no, that one makes a lot of sense, though. Okay, yeah, I haven't been reading one, that book, so that one. Yeah, probably... no, that one that one makes a lot of sense. That's, that's okay. that one's okay. I give them a pass on that one. <laughs> okay, so that's that's like the the end, the end of that story, which yeah. so makes it. But it was billed as like an ongoing going into Legacy. It I was, it was, yeah, yeah, it was. Okay, so that one, uh, Generation X. Uh, and the Gwenpool book and Luke Cage are all being canceled in February. Um, and David Walker went on Twitter. He's a writer of Luke Cage and definitely said that Luke Cage was canceled because of low sales. That's a shame. It was a really good book. Yeah. Um, and then in March, after the uh, after the March solicits came out, um, Kelly Thompson went on and uh, is it is it Cine Grace? Is that who's writing Iceman? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Both of them went on uh, Twitter to confirm that because the solicits count sounded kind of finally that that Hawkeye and Iceman were both going to be ending oh, in March, oh, oh, and that kills as me. well. Those were my two favorite books. <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, there's still three other books that um, that weren't in the March solicits. So Captain Marvel wasn't there, but uh, but Margaret Soul went on Twitter to say that that book 
wasn't canceled, like it was going on a hiatus or going on some weird thing, but Captain Marvel is going to appear in, in Infinity Countdown, so maybe that book will resume after that or some shit. I don't know. Or like it'll tie in next month or like it's just taking a month off. Um, America was absent from the March solicits and there's still no word on whether that's going to be canceled or not, but I would, I would, that's probably, the next that's probably, probably say it's gone. Canceled, yeah. Yeah. And then defenders was canceled or was, was not, was, we don't know if it was canceled or not. It wasn't in the March solicits, um, as well. And it's last issue was issue 10 last month, which I don't know if that was the end of that storyline or not. That one also could be due. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis, um, has been, uh, in, in and out of the hospital the past couple of weeks, he was in ICU for a period. And so, um, and he's, he's wrapping up, I guess all of these, all these titles and handing them off, um, to these new creative teams before he, um, I think he was supposed to start his new, his new writing gig at DC in January. And that might've been pushed back a couple of weeks now because of, because of this. Um, and all of his last book for Marvel is supposed to come out in May, I think is what he, he tweeted out. Um, and also said that that his his run on Jessica Jones is ending in March too, and that the the new writing team for that would be announced soon. Um, so that one that one's iffy. I would I would probably beg uh, I would probably you know guess that it might be canceled as well. Also, we want to wish uh, Bendis the uh, you know best recovery. You know, get well soon. All that. Get back to writing good comics. Um, and it just seems like he's had a lot of support from the comics community. He's been he's been a really happy happy guy on the internet. Um, so a lot of love has been going his way and that's, that's really cool to see. Um, but yeah, it, it kind of feels like these, these titles have come to their, their conclusion. They were billed as ongoings and legacy, but they really had nothing, nothing to contribute to this larger narrative that Marvel's building with legacy. And I just think that's kind of an odd thing. As you said, there wasn't really a narrative being built. (laughs) Like the legacy one shot came out and then it was completely forgotten about and all the titles just kept on doing their thing. And it's so disheartening that so many titles are being canceled so quickly. Mm-hmm. Like it's been not even a year and all of these books are getting canceled. That's yeah. not a way right. to build a readership, especially with these books that I feel had a big appeal to bring in new readers because they were newer titles that were not very far into their runs. No, I, I mean, I can only speak for a few of these books because I actually read them. Um, some of them, I, I didn't read Hawkeye, even though I should have. I, I didn't. Um, America definitely was not headed towards an ending, so that's really a shame. And um, that book was was good. It, it was really fun for what it was. And uh, Luke Cage was another very solid book. I'm, I'm really sad that that did not catch on the way it should have. Um, Generation X is really disappointing. It, it's not my favorite X-Men book, but um, it definitely was something that didn't exist in the X-Men line. It was all about these young characters, these teenagers and Jubilee as their like mentor. And it wasn't so much big arcs. It was like each issue was kind of just like these teens dealing with like teenage drama, but with superheroes stuff added in there. And it was good. It it definitely was not, it was not anything like the other X-Men books that just felt like no one even bothered to promote it. It just existed. And now all of a sudden we're surprised it got canceled, which is really a shame. Um, Iceman definitely was not headed towards an ending. So I'm, I'm very upset about that because that was a really good book. Um, Yeah. I, that is really good. Yeah. Yeah, I 
I love it. It's so <laughs> it was, good. Like I said, it was one of one of my favorite uh, Marvel books. But I also, I feel like Cena Grace couldn't have gone on for too much longer beyond what he's already done. Like I feel like maybe the book could have stretched to twenty issues, but I I don't see this concept lasting for much longer beyond that. As much as I, as much as it pains me to say that, because I really love the book. It, is, it was it's a really good book, and then um. Defenders, I had not read past the first issue, and uh, Jean Grey, despite being called an ongoing, was definitely going somewhere, and then once they announced that uh, they were doing the Resurrection of Phoenix story, it became more apparent that it was ending, and then when you get to issue 10, (laughs) which I I guess I don't want to spoil, but once you get to issue 10, it's very obvious that the book is done. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a shame, yeah, too, because yeah. Jean Grey was very good. And, and, and I was like, when I'm, I'm very, I'm, I love Jean Grey, the character. So I was very, I'm very protective of her. So when I saw this book was happening and it started right away with the Phoenix Force, I was not the biggest fan of it. Um, but then it turned into being this book about her wanting to tell, like, fate that she was the one in charge. And I liked that. And it's just when you get to issue ten, it, it's it, it has to end. There, there's especially with the Jean Grey resurrection book and then the team book right after that. It's it had to end. It it, it didn't. They had no other choice. It, it had to go. Yeah. So the yeah. the one book that you didn't talk about, Hawkeye. Um, mm-hmm. I that's one I could see lasting. Kelly Thompson was setting up a foundation so that that book could last forever. Like that, it yeah. really could have lasted like 50, 100 issues, um, just even with different creative teams with that same core concept of Kate living in uh, LA. LA? LA, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, it was a really, really fun book. And it, I, I'm sure that obviously like it was canceled because of sales and no other reasons. Um, but like I said, just getting away from Hawkeye itself. Just overall, I feel like this just points to Marvel's overall lack of cohesion, mm-hmm. like for legacy. And yeah. at this point, it's like, okay, if you're going to have this big supposed sales push and you're trying to say, like, this is our new line and you're going to buy into it, okay, cool. And then only a few months later, all these books get canceled. I feel like that just takes away any weight that. Like, as if in the past, the constant relaunches weren't enough. This is just a sign that they really don't care about actually relaunching and sticking with something. No, they, I'm convinced they don't. Yeah. They, I, I just, I just don't, I, I don't, I, I have no reason to believe that they would be, which is a shame because mm-hmm. it, it's DC, at least the, the couple books that got canceled, they're going to have like, Blue Beetle might have like three full trades out and that's that's where that's yeah. where they canceled yeah. it so like uh Me- meg downey on twitter had said this like you've got three trades of a book that was canceled and that's only gonna work in dc's favor anyway because that's gonna be a whole line of readers down like years from now who are gonna know who this character is and be able to read his stories not just a quick like six issue introduction to him it's it's a full three trade story full like real run 
and that'll just set up DC later on to be able to bring the character back and do what they want to do later on because they are they can build the readership in the bookstore. Giving like a book not even a year because you're double shipping it, it it's not enough time, especially with how ordering single issues works anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what a lot of people have said on Twitter um, is in in response to this, uh, one, in trying to educate uh, comic book readers on on how these titles, uh, like, live or die. Mm-hmm. They live or die on pre-orders at your local comic book shop when you, you know, when you have your pull list or, or if you order your books on, you know, on DCBS I'm at two months in advance. I imagine, too, that that's, that's, a, that's a similar, you know, pre-order system. Um, like they live or die on on these pre-orders. They don't live or die on you buying them off off the off the shelf at at your stores. And so if if they're not people pre-ordering these books, then um, then like they're gonna they're gonna get canceled. But but also the other thing too is there's a lot of there are other Marvel series that are at the same level of of the like the diamond sales that um, like some of these books that were canceled are you know like like Miss Marvel um, and like like Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Um, and Squirrel Girl that that get to keep going, and you know, it's it's because people I guess speculate that, that Marvel has found a new like a new avenue for those books in, oh, yeah. you know, in, in trades and in like other other yeah, no, Squirrel other Girl does stuff. really well in bookstores. Yeah, yeah. Marvel does yeah. too. Yeah, and it's and it's weird because it like why can't something like like a Hawkeye or like an Iceman like those two books seem like they would do wonderful in bookstores. Like they're like, they seem like geared towards, um, you know, like, like teenagers or like, or like young adults or even like, like younger people like navigating, you know, these like all new situations like those, like those seems like book seem like books that would sell really well. Um, like to kids or to, to teenagers as well. And so I don't know why like those get singled I, out. I, I think they get singled books. out not because of Marvel. I think they get singled out because they just happen to do well. Like people found those books Mm -hmm. and that's why they did well. Marvel doesn't invest Mm -hmm. in like putting books anywhere else. Um, I had, I saw somebody bring up today, actually, why doesn't Marvel put books in hot topic, for example, because they sell a lot of Marvel merchandise. Why aren't there comics there? Um, Why aren't there trades at like, the Disney store. Why, why don't they sell anything there? And, and it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you would get the market. You, you could, you will get the readers if you put books somewhere else. Cause I don't even go to a local comic book store anymore. I do everything on comiXology. (laughs) I am like all digital now. So yeah. Well, Miss Marvel and squirrel girl in particular, uh, both of those have been running for a while, and they were before, obviously, a lot of the books that we were just yeah. talking about that got canceled. And excuse me, um, I feel like I feel like we were in kind of a situation like how uh, like how Batgirl of Burnside got really popular. So DC was like, "Oh, okay, you like Batgirl of Burnside? We're going to do DCU, and it's going to be fifty of that book." And everyone was like, yeah. "Nobody knew which one to pick. Nobody knew which one to read, and they canceled them all within a year." Mm-hmm. every single book mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh i feel like that same thing happened to marvel like they saw oh like we have these huge successes with miss marvel and squirrel girl in a way that made them stand out from the line and that helped people as just said find them and then they just flooded the market with them yeah 
Well, but 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 part of that too, like part of that push um, was like was like coupled with you know their desire to to have these platforms for their uh, like for all their all their diverse characters and for like all these different stories that they wanted to be telling and like that was a good thing. Um, and I guess that's part of what what DC did with DCU. Although I think they just they just hi- they highlighted a lot of characters that hadn't really had a spotlight. It wasn't necessarily that they were carving out room for um, these characters who are maybe necessarily underrepresented. Like, I think there, there might be a little bit of a difference there, but I don't, I don't know. It just like, there were a lot of people uh, on the internet that were saying like this, this desire to go back to these, um, like these characters and these stories that have always, that have always sold um, is going to, is going to undercut all of these um, legacy characters and all of these like um minority characters like all these lgbtq characters and 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 queer characters and 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 persons of color uh and 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 female titles that like that marvel has created a niche for in the last couple years in order to be able to um like we were talking about earlier to tell stories that match like the marvel cinematic universe and that whole symbiotic thing to just get get worse yeah (laughs) <laughs> Maybe I'm cynical. <laughs> I think we've unfortunately cynical. been fairly cynical so far on this podcast. Oh. But it's unfortunately, well, it, like we don't want to be. <laughs> right, right. There's, there, I don't want to drag Marvel um, every month, but they just make it so easy, <laughs> and and that makes me sad. Um, but let's let's talk about something that maybe is a little bit more upbeat and a little bit more um exciting so uh as a part of our our legacy talk this month we ta- thought it would be um important to to take a look at the uh maybe the biggest single issue that marvel was putting out this month in terms of uh pushing this whole legacy narrative forward it might not be the biggest sales book we don't know yet but we're gonna we're gonna take a look and review uh marvel two and one number one written by uh, chip Zdarsky with art from jim chung um it's the beginning of what's this art called well it's the beginning of this this story that may probably or may in some way or hopefully leads to the return of the fantastic four to the marvel universe um so so yeah so what were y'all's uh what were y'all's uh initial thoughts on this on this issue it came out it came out uh, december 20th so uh, we're recording this podcast before the last Wednesday in December, um, so we'll take a look at Phoenix Resurrection next month and how that how that's going to play going forward um, into the new year. But what did y'all think about about Marvel Two and One? I actually really like this, and I am I have not read that much Fantastic Four in my in my life. I mean, I've read a, a nice amount, but not you know not that much. But I I really like this. I I thought it was the right amount of sad. Like, I think you could very easily make this, like, the saddest comic book because poor Ben and poor Johnny are all alone and you could really get dark with this. And I think they captured... I think this team captured just the right amount of sadness with the right amount of hope. Yeah. Yeah. And part of that is there were a few really unexpected moments of humor in it that I really appreciated. And... I mean, Chip Starsky is kind of known for that at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
but in this case he did write it mostly as a drama but then those little moments of humor added i thought the humanity when a book is completely dark all the time i usually have a hard time uh connecting with it um so this was yeah that that helped me connect with it and it helps the characters mean something to me which they don't because i hadn't read i've read two trades worth of fantastic four it was the first two jonathan hickman trades um yeah, but it, it helped me establish an emotional connection, and I feel like that's exactly what a book like this should be. The humor, the yeah. humor was really good, and the best, the best joke in the whole thing, if if you followed Zadarsky on Twitter for any amount of time, is the Applebee's comment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because Zdarsky has a very long and uh, interesting and hilarious history with the <laughs> Applebee's social media team. <laughs> so, Only a thing that you could say in 2017. But. He's he it, he's had some run-ins that have been hilarious with the Applebee's team, and so the fact that he snuck in an Applebee's joke is is good. That that was my favorite joke. Yeah. Well, speaking of jokes, did you see that that article that said they they cut a Trump joke? Uh, like, like the preview copy that was sent to the retailers had a that like first uh, panel where um, like where Spidey is talking to um, to to Ben. Uh, there was supposed to be like a, a Trump joke there, like when he calls him some like he says something about him being orange or whatever, and uh, like and they like they cut that when the the issue went to print. I didn't oh. see that. That's. I thought that was funny. I mean, that's pretty funny when you think about who like owns the whole thing and his history, his relationship with Trump. So it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I haven't read a a ton of fantastic four stuff in my life. I've read, I read all the ultimate fantastic four stuff. Cause when I started reading Marvel stuff, I had it in my head that I had to read all the ultimate universe stuff. Cause it seemed like a jumping in point. Um, I haven't read any of Hickman's Fantastic Four. I read Secret Wars, which I thought was great. But um, but yeah, I think this like I think you're you're both right. Like this has that uh, perfect like balance of like hope and sadness, um, which I thought like is interesting. Like and as in what happens at the end of the issue, and then also it's just interesting um, parsing out like what Ben and Johnny think happened to the fantastic four or like happened to happen to read and sue um because like we as the reader know that they're not dead because secret wars but they do think that they're dead i don't think it's addressed how they think they how the world thinks they died though right yeah no like there's that there's that flashback scene that that ben has to um like to him talking to sue and that's like I think that was in the lead up or at the beginning of secret wars where they jump in that, um, like car thing. And then they're, yeah. um, like, like the world's, the world's ending and the incursions are happening. Um, and like it splits apart. Yeah. And this is, this is before, yeah, this is before like they all get split up into the stories. They end up yeah. being split cause, up like, cause into. Ben, cause Ben spent secret wars. Like he was like that wall that kept, and Johnny he was, was like, wall. he was the sun, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I, so I, haven't read Secret Wars either, and as I said, I'm. Oh. I mean, I, I keep saying I'm pretty new to Marvel. Uh, I didn't yeah. know what those panels. Secret Wars is actually good too. Like it's okay. it's Sorry we actually it for you. good. It's a great book. You should totally read it. So yeah, 
It's good though. Like even even the tie-ins are good. Like it, it's I I don't know I don't know what happened. Like some of those were really good, and then I I don't know what happened. Like Marvel was on that was a really good moment, and then yeah. it yeah. just wasn't. So, um, yeah, but so with with those panels in the issue, it was the kind of thing where I didn't really know what was happening, but you didn't need to. I just I knew what yeah. it meant to the character, and that made it a good inclusion. Um, because you don't you don't need to know exactly the details of what happened. You just need to know what it means to someone. And uh, I think Zdarsky did a lot of cool stuff like that throughout the issue where maybe he was referencing something from the past, but you didn't need to know what that was. Like, you don't need to know the details of it in order to know, uh, in order to follow along and in order to feel something from it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with that. Um, yeah, no, I thought this was a really cool issue. I thought, I mean, and, and, and Jim Chung with everything he draws just like kills it. But I thought, um, like, I thought the art on this was really, really good too. Mm-hmm. I, the, the thing is like, I, I've read a lot of Zadarsky's work and I'm really amazed by what he does here mm-hmm. because I, I think too, he really nails each character and why they're so different in, in such a short amount of space. Like, Sue is only shown in flashbacks, but it's so obvious immediately that she's like the heart and soul of the team. Yeah. And then read his very short little message. Like it's, he's the brains, you know, like it's very, it's, it's very well done. And, and that's a hard thing to do, at least from what I've seen from just jumping on to different series. It's a lot of writers seem to struggle with like just addressing who these characters are to the reader in a really short amount of space. And Zdarsky really does a great job with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. I agree. I think like his, his characterization of like a Ben and Johnny and then, you know, like of, of Reed and Sue too, is like, is really kind of spot on. The only thing that I was maybe not, maybe not confused about, but just like, I don't know, like it, it was kind of, it was kind of odd. Like his, his doom, uh, like he feels like Dr. Doom, like, like old school Dr. Doom. Um, but like, I've been reading, you know, Bendis's like infamous Iron Man, like I've been reading Bendis's Iron Man stuff. And it's like, this doesn't feel like the doom that, that Bendis has been writing for the last mm-hmm. year. Who's like been trying to reform. Like this feels like kind of evil Dr. Doom or like anti-hero Dr. Doom who like mm-hmm. is really invested in how to like, I don't know. Like he, he feels like he feels evil, I guess. Like he, he feels like an antagonist in, and so that that is maybe a little a little odd to me. I, I think I think with that because Bendis is leaving um, Marvel as a whole, I think Doom's going to revert back to that. Which oh, absolutely, yeah. I, I think I, I honestly I, I don't I don't know how soon we'll get to um, the whole Fantastic Four being back together, but I I think Zdarsky's going to end up being the guy that takes it because I can't imagine him setting all this up and then not being the guy that writes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think that I think that definitely makes sense. You oh, go ahead. I think uh, Marvel two and one is actually going to be not necessarily canceled in six issues, but going to end up being a limited series. Yes, because I I think it'll end up. I think once the Fantastic Four come back, because they're coming back, <laughs> I, yeah. I can't imagine they're setting this up for nothing. <laughs> um, that this will then just become Fantastic Four. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And they'll renumber think, it. <laughs> yeah. I think the question is, is in how many issues is that going to happen? Because uh, I was reading a, an interview that Newsarama did with, with Jim Chung uh, this week about 
this and he's because he's doing the art for the first two issues and then um i think it's i think it's valerio uh whatever his last sh- it's not shitty because that's that seems like a shitty last name um <laughs> it might it's well, however you say his last the guy who's doing the uh guardians of galaxy art with with bendis and then like he did the last couple fill-in fill-ins on mighty thor before it relaunched he's doing issues three and four and then chunk's coming back for issue five and then he i think that's all he's drawing like but then they talked about like there's more after that like there's a second arc um and so i think the question i do think you're right like i do think that marvel two and one is is absolutely gonna be the lead-in to fantastic four i'm i'm maybe not convinced that zadarsky's gonna be the one to bring them back but I do think this is going to be a limited series insofar as like when this ends, Fantastic Four will launch. But I think it's going to be longer than six issues. I think it'll, it'll be like 10 to 12 mm-hmm. or even What's more. a shame, know. though, is that if you knew before this like what the Marvel, what Marvel 2-in-1 was, it would be kind of mm-hmm. cool to keep it as that and have this, this first arc be what brings back the Fantastic Four and then just keep it going and just have Zdarsky on with... Um, a different group of artists coming in and have them keep doing what Marvel 2 and 1 was, which was just um, which was like Thing teaming up with different people and it just being a book Mm -hmm. that revolved around that. I think that'd be fun and I think that's something that Marvel doesn't really have right now is something that kind of highlights like all the different characters of the Marvel Universe Um. Because if you if you keep the book going and you decide not to cancel it when the Fantastic Four comes back, you can keep thing around and this will be like his solo book. But again, like Marvel right. Two and One was him teaming up with different characters, so I just think it'd be kind of yeah. nice to keep this book. Yeah, especially with the way that I was, um, the way that I was saying how Zdarsky Zdarsky uh, did a good job uh, introducing characters to someone who's new to them, um, that could be a really cool thing for a team-up book. Because, like you said, just bringing in all sorts of characters from the Marvel Universe, which was basically uh, Marvel 2-in-1 introduced a lot of people to a lot of completely new characters. And that's totally... Mm-hmm. I think that's totally something he could do well. Yeah. And and that kind, like, that kind, yeah. of, that kind of trade, like, if people know that this is just like, oh yeah, this is Thing teaming up with lots of other characters in lots of different types of adventures with this this more comedy guy writing the book, you know, I think that's something that would sell well to people who aren't as invested in, like, reading all the Avengers books, but they want to read, like, a Moon Knight story just mm-hmm. to kind of get a feel for who he is. They could read yeah. Marvel 2-in-1. It just seems like a yeah. really good thing to have. And the, the- yeah. And what a great way to... Oh. oh. Or, what a, like, what a great way, too, to, like, to then spin off, like, those characters that like maybe don't have a, a book at the moment, like have them star in mm-hmm. Marvel two and one and partner with the thing and then like spin them off into their own book. Mm-hmm. And, and what a great way then to launch um, like some of those, some of those t- like some of those more diverse titles with these characters that we haven't um, seen in a long time or that like haven't had a series yet or um, like that need that visibility. Like we were talking about earlier, like that need visibility in order to be, be able to like to continue to be ongoing series and to sell well. Yeah. And I, I really like the idea of rotating artists because you can match the artist to the character so that they can tell the best yeah. story that they can. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, you got any more? Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, just to, t- 
talk a little bit more about the art um, of of this Marvel Two and One Number One. Um, it's very classic, sort of big explosive superhero art, superhero art, um, and I like that. That was cool, but uh, I, I like the scenes where it, there's no dialogue. And there were a few pages in here where it was just all Chung doing his thing. And they told the story really, really well. Like, you can tell that he's a very good storyteller on his own. So I'm a little hesitant for what future artists might do. Um, but either way, I think Zdarsky is clearly setting... He, he's good at setting things up. And I think that he knows how to work with artist strengths, being an, uh, being an artist himself. Yeah, yeah. No, every like. I mean, I think most of Marvel's big events for the last several years, like Chung has had a part either in drawing one issue or or parts of or like most of the series or whatever. Um, and he's just kind of like their go-to big bombastic, big bombastic guy. And and this like this had a lot of very uh, like very smaller like emotional beats or like quieter beats in it too, like amidst all the big superhero action stuff. And that was really cool to like to see as well because i don't know that i've seen chung draw a lot of um just like smaller smaller bits like this mm-hmm. yeah 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 i wonder i had this thought while i was while i was reading that like if this was the book that was like a like because it is a like a direct follow-up to secret wars in a lot of ways um and like and you know and that event ended two years ago um, like, I don't know, like, it, it just seems like this could have come out, like, right after Secret Wars ended and could have just been, like, something that was, like, the the vehicle for the Fantastic Four coming back. And I'm saying that now, and, and I don't know, like, that seems, it seems dumb to, like, to, quote-unquote, like, kill off people and then immediately bring them back, but that's comics, mm-hmm. and I don't know. Like, it, you could, you could read this without having read, like, the last two years of what marvel's published basically yeah Yeah. totally yep which is kind of interesting i don't know well cool um all right well we're going to take another quick break and then we'll come back here and uh wrap up and have some fun uh end of 2017 things for marvel so stay tuned hello we're the hosts of the multiversity manga club podcast i'm emily i'm zach and i'm walter Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back, folks. Uh, for this last part of the podcast and for this last part of the year, we thought we'd do some uh, some fun uh, Marvel year in review stuff. And so uh, we're going to talk about some of our, our favorite books that have come out of Marvel this year. We're going to talk a little bit about some of the things that Marvel's done really great and then some of the things that they haven't done so great, which we've already mentioned a little bit on this podcast, and then just kind of talk about what some of our hopes are for the for for Marvel going into 2018. 
And so to kick off, uh, we're going to talk about what are what are three favorite issues or not issues? That would be a lot harder. What are three favorite series that uh, that Marvel has published in 2017 are and why? Um, and so so Jess, why don't we start with you? What were your three favorite books that Marvel put out this year um, and why? Um, so this my my number three pick ended this year, but it still. Uh, gets that spot because I loved it. It is uh, Power Man and Iron Fist uh, by David Walker and and Sanford Green. Um, I am a huge fan of Luke Cage and Iron Fist. Like, the classic Heroes for Hire is, like, some of my favorite stuff. And this was a really good book that kind of – that felt like the classic stuff but really tied into what's going on in, like – 2017 in the parts of New York that the Avengers don't actually care about. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, it ended, like I said, it ended this year. It ended in April, April, I think. And so it's been gone for a little while now. It feels like forever, but um, it was a really funny book that really captured how much time has passed with this with this duo that Luke's now a dad and a husband and, and he can't swear anymore because he has a swear jar at home because Jessica does not let him swear <laughs> around the baby. And so <laughs> so it's really funny watching him kind of walk around saying things he can't say anymore. And Danny's tracksuit is like the best thing visually <laughs> that was done on that book. And <laughs> and it's it's it the the characterizations were just so good and I, I want the Marvel shows to borrow from that more. Um and Sanford Green's art was really good and really unique. And it also was the book that brought back Alex Wilder from the runaways, so it was good it was good it did a lot in just fifteen issues, but I loved it. Um my second pick is actually uh Jean Grey. Um it's ending it's another one that's like almost done, but it was so good and so well done. I, I still haven't processed if I like what happens in issue 10 or not. But up until then, I think the book did a really good job at making this teen version of Jean Grey really different from her from the person that the rest of the X-Men universe knew. And I really love the idea of her spending so much time trying to not let fate and destiny dictate what her life was going to be like i really like her fighting against the idea that she has to be this love interest for wolverine and and cyclops and that she has to be the the person who um you know becomes the phoenix i really like her trying to go against all of that and dennis hopeless was actually really funny with some of the scripting It, it really worked for me and i'm like i said i'm not sure if i like how issue 10 went but um it's going to really depend on what the Phoenix Resurrections on, um, event does. But it was really good for the short amount of time it existed. And then my number one pick is um, actually another X-Men book. It's All New Wolverine. <gasps> yeah. um, that's That to me is the – it's not only the best X-Men book by far. It might be the best book Marvel's putting out right now because it – does everything that I would love a superhero book at Marvel to do, but it also really reinvented Laura and set her apart from Logan completely, mm-hmm. where his Wolverine is more of a stab first, ask questions later. Laura's story 
was still a Wolverine story, but it was her also trying to not be what everyone else wanted her to be. And when you add in Gabby to all of that, it it becomes like this cute like sister drama and it's funny and it's heartfelt and it's it's really perfect and and i just i mean we'll get into this later but my biggest hope is that that book doesn't go i freaking love gabby i I love all new i oh my god gabby's (laughs) the best (laughs) i I would adopt gabby she's the best yeah (laughs) nice very cool well nick how about how about you so my number three, um, and before I, I get into my top three, I just want to talk about the kind of the way that I've been reading Marvel. Um, I haven't been anything close to trying to keep up with the whole line, but I've definitely been trying to latch on to new books, and I've been trying to, whenever new creative teams come on, things like that, um, just try out a few things um, every now and then. And so a lot of my books were or two of my top three were books that started this year. Um, <laughs> we'll get into them in a second. But uh, yeah, I just think that it's, uh, as once again, as a fairly new reader, um, my list sort of reflects that. Um, and yeah, so my number three is uh, Nick Fury. Um, I really loved how every single issue was a single issue. Um, just you get in, you have your crazy wild story and you get right out. Um, I really, I really appreciate single issues because you don't get them a lot today, uh, in comics, um, especially, especially in superhero comics. And that was really, really cool. It allowed me to really latch onto the character and get into what he was doing. Um, I also like that the book wasn't so much about the character himself, uh, as it was about just these wild spy missions. And that's not usually my thing. But it became my thing because of the artist. Um, I don't know if it's ACO or ACO. Um, but uh, yeah, he I loved his stuff on Midnighter uh, when he did that. Yeah. And he brought over that same sort of just absolute manic, but also really uh, structured, uh, just really detailed sort of pop art kind of style. Um, oh man, I, I really, really loved all that stuff. Um, the book was unceremoniously canceled after the sixth issue uh, without having any announcement. So I was really sad when that sixth issue came in and I realized that it was the last one. Uh, but yeah, Nick Fury recommended my number three pick. <laughs> my number two pick is uh, Iceman. So I just love that concept of this character who a younger version of him uh, shows up, reveals that he's gay, and it forces the character to, as an adult um, in his, what, late 20s, early 30s, uh, have to realize that about himself and accept it. And I thought Justina Grace brought a lot of really relatable humanity to the book. Um, there was some nice superhero stuff, but for me, the, it was really about the character. It was about just connecting with him, seeing what he's going through, and it's the type of story that I feel when it's told, not just in comics, but anywhere. Uh, number one, it's not often told. A lot of, uh, like a lot of gay stories end up being uh, coming out stories about when people are younger. Um, but this one, <clears throat> like the coming out was done. It was about him sort of accepting himself for the most part. 
and uh, and him doing it later in life realistically. And it wasn't really any sort of stereotypes. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a very very well written book, and I have some problems with the art. Most of the time, I feel like it doesn't match the story, um, but overall, yeah, I, I really really appreciate everything that book has been doing. Uh, so that's my number mm-hmm. two. Uh, and then my number one is Miss Marvel. Um, I've, I've been reading this book since the very first issue. Um, it was one of the first Marvel books that I ever picked up. And I feel like G. Willow Wilson has just gotten, I, would, I wouldn't say better, but she, her stuff, especially in this past year, it's gotten not necessarily political, but it's really reflected the culture. It tries to go for modern issues, but it's never exploitative. Uh, it, it always, again, it brings that relatable humanity to what are people feeling at this moment in time. And she really tries to bring a balanced and unbiased perspective to it. Um, and as that's happening, it's also a coming of age story, which I always really love. Um, and it's just about this girl who's trying to make sense of the world around her. Um, yeah, but especially what I said about how G. Willow Wilson has really been able to reflect the culture and make points about it without being super ham-fisted and without necessarily shoving an agenda down our throats. Um, she has her points, and they're there if you want to see them. And by doing it that way, they end up meaning a lot more because she's allowed to add a lot more subtlety. Um yeah, so, uh, and even with the rotating team of artists on that book, um, the colorist is actually the one who keeps it having a distinct visual style that's consistent across all the issues. So I like how, I like how they've done that. Um, yeah, so that's why it's my number one pick. Very nice. Very nice. Y'all, it's, it's, so, it's so cool to be able to do this and like see, see just how different everybody's tastes are, I guess. Um, like those are all, those are, all of those are books that I, that I read and I enjoyed um, this year. And I had, a, I had a really hard time with my number three because um, I wanted to put all new Wolverine on there, but those, but none of those are ones that made my list either. So it's just, I really, I think it just speaks to how, how we just can, like how we consume this, this medium, but also just like how we all have different tastes and just all have different loves. And it's, I think it's really, really cool. So, mm-hmm. so thank you both. Um, yeah. So I think my number three um, uh, is the mighty Thor. Um, so, so Jason Aaron and, and Russell Dodderman. Um, I, I, I love uh, like Jane Foster's Thor. And I think that, uh, like that whole, that whole concept and that whole idea, um, like of, of exploring worthiness and like, and like godhood and divinity and like all those different, very human questions, like I think are really, really cool. And I think the way that, that Aaron, um, like approaches those questions and like approaches those stories, I think are, are, are really, really awesome. Um, I think Dodderman is one of, if not like the best artists that Marvel has in their stable currently. And we can debate that, but like, I just think he's awesome. Like the way that he um, just draws these like very like sleek, big scenes with all these, like with all these gods and all these just like very um, like strong and powerful characters because of like, of who they have to be. Um, just all like in the same room with each other. I just think it's like really awesome. And then like the way that he draws, he draws Jane when she's not um, like in her Thor 
persona, like I think is, is really, really cool. Like just that question of like, what is the, what is the responsibility of, of, of like a God or like, what is the responsibility of humans when we're like, we're faced with those situations of, of questioning, um, like what, like what Godhood or what divinity is. Like, I just think it's really cool. And it's like the whole storylines this year have just like been big and huge and are building to this, this climax that we're finally seeing. And so I think 2018 is going to be a big, a big year for Thor stuff. Um, my number two book kind of in the same vein, uh, one that, that ended, uh, earlier in the year was, was ultimate squared, um, from Al Ewan, Al Ewing and, uh, and travel foreman and some other artists, um, I think Al Ewing is like one of the most underappreciated writers at Marvel currently. And so I hope that in, in 2018, we'll get into some of this, like that he, um, gets some more fun, big books. Like I think Royals, which is about to be canceled is, is also another great book. Um, I really love those titles that kind of grapple with like, so Thor grapples with like with these bigger human concepts and like ultimates grappled with all these like bigger meta concepts of like, what is the Marvel universe? How was it formed? Um, and it like felt like the only book that really kind of truly dealt with the, the fallout of secret wars and like what the like destruction of like the multiverse and how it like got put back together um, was and like, and like what happened and what changed and what's different. Um, I thought the whole idea of, of making uh, Galactus uh, the life bringer instead of like the devourer of, of planets was like a really um, inspired idea. And, and it's one that's, that's stuck. And I, and I think there's still more stories to tell with, with that character. And I thought like that was really cool. And just like seeing these like huge, big cosmic powers um, fight with one another, like on this like grand scale and like all the talk of like, they're not really like they're fighting on the realm of, of metaphor rather than like, like actually fighting. Like I thought that was so cool. And just like seeing like, how do you see concepts like fight each other? And so I, I don't know. Like I thought it, it told it, it had a lot of like really big ideas that were like filtered through um, like, like the, the main team of characters. And I just thought it was, I just thought it was really fun. Um, and then my number one pick, which I talked about when I was, I was on the the comic syllabus a couple weeks ago doing some best of 2017 stuff. Um, another title that was canceled earlier in the year uh, is the unstoppable wasp from, uh, from Jeremy, Jeremy Whitley and uh, Elsa Chartier. Um, definitely like the most self-contained book of all the books on my list. Um, you know, was telling the story of, of this new wasp character, Nadia, uh, Nadia Van Dyne. And I just, uh, just like the, like, hope and like optimism and just like cheer in the midst of everything that like um like that that character brought to all the stories like i thought was fantastic um like the whole series like followed her like trying to get this like group of young women and build this like cool lab and like i just thought like that was a great concept like really highlighted um like how we think about who are the smartest people in the world like who are the smartest people in the marvel universe um but really, I think the thing that I loved the most about this book was like the the back matter and all of the issues. And it had these these interviews with all of these um, female scientists who were talking about um, like their craft and like then like what they love about comics and what they love about stories. And I just like thought that was just like such a such like an, an inspired thing. And so I don't know, like I just love this. I love the book. It made me cry a lot and it made me happy. And so that was cool. So, yeah, that was my my fun top three for 2017. Nice fix. 
Awesome. Yeah, I I love what you what you said about how it's <laughs> you know there's there's a book out there for everyone. Uh, even in a uh, <laughs> even in a superhero marketplace that is getting more and more uh, away from that. Um, I feel like you can still, even outside of indie books, you can still find a, a book for for everyone, and that's that's very very cool. Uh, we all yeah. had <laughs> we picked nine different books. That's pretty pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I don't know. Like, I it kind of it kind of gets to the point of like we'll get get into this next question. Um, thinking about like what Marvel has done well this year. Um, like they've put out some great books. Like there've been a lot of batshit crazy behind the scenes stuff and a lot of just like, like crazy um, like editorial things or like, or like crazy, you know, like bigger political things that have gone on in the company, but they've put out a lot of really, a lot of really fun books and they're still putting out a lot of really fun books. And so maybe, yeah. you know, like the overarching narrative of like the line is like very like disjointed or whatever, but there's still a lot of good things going on in Marvel. Exactly. Yeah. There's, there's just so much going on in both in, uh, in terms of the line itself and behind the scenes, even with legacy, I, I feel like legacy itself is just, just made all of the problems of Marvel's disjointedness in their line. I feel like they've only made them seem a lot worse, but like you yeah. said, it's just, it's completely scattered. And I feel like there's just as many good books at Marvel as there are at DC. There are just as many not good books at Marvel as there are at DC. It's a lot of the reason why people aren't happy with the company is more just because of the way that they run it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jess, what are, what are some good things you think that Marvel Marvel's done this year? Some, some highlights, obviously besides the, the books that we've, we've kind of talked about. What do you, what do you think? I, I think um, it's kind of a, a two-edged sword here because um, I think one of the good things they've done is they've used legacy characters in really interesting ways. Unstoppable Wasp, Hawkeye, Wolverine, uh, Ironheart. I think that's her name, right? Ironheart. Yeah. Um, and then Ms. Marvel. But then on the flip side, they don't commit to it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the way that I wish they would. Let those versions be the one that exists, you know? Let let that ex- let that be what it is. Um, Thor is so good. And, like, it's kind of the exception to this. Because while that's so great with Jane Foster, what they're still doing with, with you know, Thor Odinson has been, like, it works, but it doesn't necessarily work for all the other legacy characters. Like Tony Stark should be dead and buried for a very, very long time, if not forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> let Riri be the one who wears that now. Mm-hmm. Um, with Wolverine, like Laura's story is so great, but then on the flip side, you've got Old Man Logan and now real, like guess real proper Wolverine real, running around. Real man like Logan. it just real man Logan. Yeah. There you go. Um, so like we didn't need him. We have a Wolverine. We don't also need him, you know? So I like that they've embraced legacy characters, but I don't like that they don't commit fully to it because they have to feel that they need to appease a certain fan base that can't accept legacy characters, even though 
everyone loves Wally West and he's not the original Flash. Mm-hmm. So yeah. <laughs> um um I I think too because of the mutant versity column I've had to read all the X-Men all of it and it's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um I think uh I I, th- I like that they've kind of rededicated themselves to getting to a back to basics approach with a lot of the X Men books. There's less in there now about big earth shattering events, and there's more um, the soap opera stuff that w- is what makes the X Men really special for good and bad. Um, you've got couples getting back together. You've got uh, the older. Um, return Jean Grey, who will throw a wrench into all of that. Yeah. Even even without like, even just from like a per, like a personal standpoint, like she's going to throw every, all of that into chaos. Um, it's you've got a Kitty Pride who's older, wiser, and really a leader now. And I like that she was allowed to age up. Um, and I'd like to see more of that. But I do like that the X Men have kind of gone back to embracing some of that stuff and not just being about what drama will they get into next with the Avengers or what planet do they have to fly to now because they're getting kicked off of earth. You know, it's, it's still got a lot of, a long way to go to be really good, but I I do like that. They've kind of rededicated themselves to the X-Men, which is probably just going to get better if that deal goes through anyway. So Jess, what was your number three again? My number three was actually Power Man and Iron Fist, which ended. Okay, and then, Kevin, what was your number two? Uh, Ultimate Squared. Okay, was that... Did that end also? Yeah. Okay, yeah, so collectively, that is uh, one, two, three, four, five, six of our nine picks were either ended or canceled this year. Jeez. Oh, gosh. That's a lot. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's, I I don't know. Like I think that's that's something they're going to have to work on. They've got to let these books get a readership. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and 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 like we have all these. Like you were saying, just like this has been a great year for all of those legacy characters, and like a lot of them have like stood out. A lot of them have shined, like like Jane Foster and like and like Riri, um, Sam Wilson, kind of. Cause now he's back to being Falcon and I don't know how I feel about that, but that's a whole nother conversation. Um, and like, and like the X-Men, like all these other characters like that are great and they've given them a moment to shine. Um, and like we talked about early in the episode, like Marvel's not making money on, or like not making the big bucks on their comic book universe at the moment. So like, instead of trying to revert to this like thing to be this like cyclical gross thing to like to sell their movies, why not just go like, full on into making the Marvel universe look completely different Mm -hmm. from the movie universe. And like, I think that has just as much merit to it than like trying to match what's going on with the movies. Like, and and I know there's the argument that like, Oh, well, you know, if like somebody goes and sees a guardians of the galaxy movie, it's great that they can pick up a book the next day that looks just like the guardians of the galaxies that they saw on the television. And like, sure. But like, maybe you could like make like a whole, like, like imprint like they have like the star wars imprint of like mcu like tie any books like where those teams and those characters exist and like leave like the main universe to just like to be different and be be fun and be new and like create that create that niche for those like comic book people Um, i feel like they really tried to have it both ways this year um because 
they did introduce a lot of new interesting books by new interesting creators starring uh, legacy characters or diverse characters more so before legacy ironically um, but uh, yeah. yeah and then in addition to that they had a lot of books that were uh, reflecting um, that were reflecting what was going on in the movies um, yeah they definitely tried to have it both ways this year and I think it hurt them a lot um, but then again if they had made everything completely new and different I don't think that they would have done much better. But then again, I also don't think that if they made everything just like the movies, they would have done better. So, yeah. I I mean, I feel like, yeah, like on one, on one level, you, like you, it, it may not be like as user friendly or like as like new reader friendly to um, like, to just go completely different and like, play up all of these legacy characters that like that don't show up on the movie screen. Um, but also like, that's the beauty of comics is that like, you get to see all these different stories and like all these different like characters, like at least like to me, that's, that's a lot of the beauty of it is that like you have all of these different things playing in this one big sandbox. Yeah. And all all the way back when I first got into comics uh, that, and for a lot of people, it's the shared superhero universes that they really love and getting into it. For me especially, I loved the fact that there was just such a huge open world to explore that there, like, I could pick up a book and there would be this completely new character that I had no idea who they were and they had replaced this other character and there was a whole like lineage and as long as you have a decent writer on it, it's pretty easy to explain that stuff. Um, that just, I mean, those possibilities, as long as they're not done in too insular a way, that leads to some really fun stories and I think it it makes readers more likely to engage with the universe. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I agree. Like that's, that's the fun is like realizing that the more you read, like the more there is to read, like you will never be able to read everything. And so like exploring the world and going like full in, like that's, that's to me, that's a lot of the beauty of it. So maybe, Um, maybe the issue isn't about picking one or the other. Um, because pretty much when you would have new and different, uh, that would be in their own title. And then when you would have old and same, (laughs) they would be in their own separate title. Maybe the answer is to kind of combine everything, not everything, but have like a lot of books that have that mixture of legacy. Yeah. Yeah. They just have like, they have both living side by side, which is what legacy was built as. Yeah. And it just hasn't, we haven't got that yet. (laughs) Yeah. So we've talked okay, so we've talked a little bit about some of our some of the successes and and some of the misses. What are some of like the the big misses, like hard hard screw-ups that that Marvel's had this year that um that we think and we've touched on some of them. So let's try to be a little briefer here, but what are what are like what's like the worst thing that they did this year? Mm. Jess, we'll <laughs> we'll start with you. Oh gosh, um, I, it's been such a long year. I'm trying to think, like they definitely did something awful this year, and I can't remember what it is. It's it's not the Sabolsky thing. There was something else. Um, oh, okay. Marvel creators on social media need to either not be allowed to be on Twitter, or they need to seriously take some classes. <laughs> 
Marvel just that's that's the entire thing. Like Marvel in general, their creators on social media are just the worst. I I mean, I have never I I miss reading Spider Man. Like I I miss it dearly, but I will not read anything Dan Slott writes ever again. Just never happening. Yeah. Same goes for Nick Spencer, who, like, Nick Spencer, let me tell you, I was actually drawn in an issue of Morning Glories. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, man. I will never touch that book again. I was one of those people. I will never, ever touch an issue of Morning Glories ever again. I I, I can't. He is is the worst. So that's one thing that they really just were so bad with this year with social media. Yeah, which like to be fair, I think I think Nick Spencer de- deactivated his Twitter account, or he blocked me. But I don't know why that would be a thing. And I think Slot, well, I, I keep daring him to block. Dan Slot has me blocked. Well, really, I don't know what I did, but <laughs> I don't. He, I haven't seen him uh, on Twitter very much lately either. So I don't know. Maybe made his Twitter private last show. I don't know. Oh. If Okay, that's it then. Yeah. Maybe Slot did that too. Because I haven't seen him like ranting about politics recently. Oh, um, <laughs> and I've kind of been I've kind of been missing it a little bit. I don't know. Not that I not that I think that anything that he says is like particularly enlightening, but like it's fun to like watch him go back and forth with people. And also bad. But <laughs> um No, that's that's fair. I think that and I think that's something to be said too about like how we as how we as fans approach creators who we feel like are are like being dickish on the internet. Like I think that like that we as we have a lot of responsibility like as as consumers of these things to like to point out some of that abusive behavior, but also to like to point out other fans who are attacking other creators or like to like or like even like to be responsible like in comment sections or like to be just like more mindful of of how we how we critique and like how we think about all these different things i don't know like i think there's a larger definitely a larger conversation to be had around all of that stuff yeah i mean it it definitely doesn't uh <laughs> like you said the the fan stuff doesn't help but i mean at that point like just said just get off twitter if you can't handle people just tweeting at you and saying like your book fucking sucks like just just get off <laughs> you know yeah yeah um yeah oh boy <laughs> uh nick what are what are some of the what are some of the things do you think that marvel mishandled this year uh it's hard to see past the Sibolsky and the failure of legacy uh, <laughs> right now. Um, I mean, mostly I think the biggest failure was like we were talking about, just not letting books have even more than one arc. <laughs> like I understand that books have to find an audience. And if they're not doing that, you can tell by the pre-orders, but the pre-orders aren't the sole way to, uh, tell whether a book is doing well and if you if you cancel a book at issue six you can't even tell how it's going to do on marvel unlimited because those books come out six months after you can't tell how they're doing on in trade because the trade will come out after that so i mean even though technically they can always bring a book back uh once those creators are done 
working on a book for a few months, they've moved on to other projects. They, they have bills that they have to pay, you know, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. a book isn't going to come back with the exact same creative team after a few months, just because it started doing well in trade. Yeah. So I yeah. think that's my biggest thing. I just wish that they would stick with their books more. Um, yeah. 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 I think, I think all of that, all of those things are, are definitely, I think for me, I've, I've been really frustrated with like a lot of the legacy roll-on stuff, but I think a lot of it began even earlier with, with secret empire and how that was rolled out and how, and how that was treated. Um, and that book was bad. <laughs> uh, like, and, and, and what I was frustrated with the most too, is because I, I, actually genuinely enjoyed some of the lead up to that book. Like I, I didn't, I didn't hate the, the, uh, Steve Rogers book, like the Captain America book that Spencer's writing. And I, I didn't hate the same Wilson book. Like they definitely both had, had problems and like definitely like the underlying, um, like Steve Rogers is Hydra now thing. Like the way that Marvel handled the, the PR of that was really bad because it, it was a particular, like it was a controversial idea. Um, but I, I didn't think that like the lead up to that event was, was horrible. And so I was just like really disappointed with um, like how, like the, the, all the middle part of it. And then like the end was like, it didn't, it didn't feel deserved. Um, but Mark Wade and Chris Samney are, are rectifying some of that. So that feels good. Um, yeah. Like it just kind of like as much as I, I, I keep seeing people on the internet, like we, we talk about how, how frustrating it's been, being a, a fan of Marvel comics and in, in 2017 and like, and the, and people like retailers on Twitter have talked about it and fans have talked about it and, and other websites have talked about it. And then just like to see the Marvel people kind of brush that off and, and say like, well, we still had a great year. Like the, I think Tom, uh, Tom Brevert like tweeted, like this was like the third most profitable year that Marvel's ever had. And so then like to, to not listen to that, like to that criticism and to not think that you're doing anything wrong and to like to not being be apologetic for the way in which some people feel like you've screwed up the way in which you you roll some of this down. I think like that's really kind of particularly disheartening. And I think that's kind of big my biggest frustration this year. Yeah. Um tying into not where you ended your point, but there was somewhere in there where you were talking about uh just uh I forget what it was, but it made me think of this how um my at my local comic shop um my uh, the the person who runs it was having um <laughs> my dealer uh was having a sale on indie books and uh someone came into the shop and was talking with him and he was like yeah we're having a sale on indie books um and someone was like oh, okay so no dc and marvel and the the guy who runs the shop goes well uh with the way that marvel's been selling we may have to start considering them indie and that was oh, uh, huge. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oof. I had to take a moment to myself and just breathe. <laughs> it was yeah. Um, so if that's a way that a retailer like who does fairly well, I mean, their other shops have opened and closed around here, and they keep staying open. Um, and especially, I know that they've been having a lot of big success with uh, DC books. Um, yeah. So for him to say that about Marvel was a huge deal. Yeah. No, yeah. Um, it's just like it's just interesting to see the retailers on mm-hmm. on Twitter talk about how they talk about Marvel. Um, 
or how some of them talk about Marvel. Like, and obviously their books are selling in a lot of places and in some, and so maybe the ones that are the most vocal are the ones that are having the most problems. And there are stores that, that Marvel sells as well as it's always sold. But mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, it's a, it's an interesting narrative. Um, so finally to, finally to wrap up then, um, let's talk about some of, some of the hopes that we have for Marvel for, for 2018 and, uh, and, and com um, last week we ran a an article that some of our some of our people tweeted their their holiday wish list for marvel comics or what they what they hope marvel does does better or continues to do um in the new year and and uh you can read that it'll be linked in the post uh to this to this podcast and we'll we'll try to link it on the the apple music thing as well but if not check out multiversitycomics.com um some of them had some things like they need to bring back and have uh like they're Marvel architects or just like people that, that are like the main people running the line to like make it, you know, more cohesive. They need to tell some more like standalone stories. Like some of the, the stories like that they've told this year, like that are the good ones have been the ones that are like have tied in least with the universe um, to kind of like to pick with the status quo and get to it, to lower prices, to continue to have um, diverse like writers and artists. Um, and to just like to look for different, different markets um, for some of their books to not necessarily tackle the, the single issue market with everything. Um, and then also, also to make and to establish some, some other, uh, imprints since their, uh, mature imprints have kind of gone on the wayside. But so, so you can definitely check that out. I, I totally agree and, and, and disagree with some of these points and some of the things that they've, that they've talked about, um, have already actually, you know, we already have, we already know what's going to happen with some of that. Like somebody talked about how, uh, to, to continue to let Santa Grace uh, write the right ice story. We know now that that's going to be canceled. So that's kind of a bummer. Um, but what are, what are some of y'all's hopes for Marvel uh, going into 2018? Nick, what do you think? Uh, stick with your books. Uh, unify the line. <laughs> um, those are, those are my main, main things. I, I mean, especially I think that, because like I said, Marvel has a decent amount of good books. Marvel has a decent amount of bad books, but they just need that more central vision of what the line is. And I mean, a lot of that comes down to marketing, um, honestly, because like we said, it's not necessarily even about the books. Uh, It's about the marketing, the way that those people handle it. Uh, Whereas, um, I mean, yeah, comparing it to Rebirth at DC, uh, they have the same amount of good and bad books, I think. And it's just, everything feels like one big thing. So at Marvel, uh, that just ties into their larger PR problem um, in terms of the way that they deal with creators and fans and retailers and Akira Yoshida and everything. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's probably my biggest thing. Um <laughs> so find uh find a core thing for your line but the bigger problem there is fix your pr department fix your advertising mm-hmm. yeah jess what do you think what are some of your big hopes going into this next year um a lot of what nick said i'll uh i'll i'll agree with and then i would add to i would add to that um uh, when when we brought up Al Ewing 
Um, Marvel kind of needs someone other than Jason Aaron to be like that guy that they can go to for, for a lot of Mm -hmm. big name things. And with Nick Spencer being just the worst and Dan Slott also being the worst, Al Ewing's like really (laughs) nice and really, he's a genuinely good guy, at least from Twitter. Um, And his writing is really good. And, he kind of, for me, fills the weird void that Jonathan Hickman left behind. Like, he can mm-hmm. tell, like, these really big, abstract stories with all this kind of crazy cosmic stuff in there. And Ultimates was really good. And I'd mm-hmm. like to see him kind of be pushed further. Like, give him a bigger place. Give him a bigger stage to stand on and let him have fun. Let him write the Avengers. Is what I'm saying. Let yeah. him have Avengers. Avengers is your big book. Let him do it. Um, uh, another very specific thing is I'd really like to uh, D- Dan Slott again is leaving Spider-Man from what I understand. Um, he's getting ready to at least. Let Chip Zdarsky write Spider-Man because Spectacular Spider-Man is a really good book and it's like the only Spider-Man book I can read and I love it. It's funny. It's heartfelt. It's very Spider-Man without making him a teenager again. Move him into like the main Spider-Man book. Let him have it. Um, And then I'd really like to see Marvel just bring in more talent because you do have – you have your Gillens and your Kelly Sue DeConnick's and Hickman's who have all left. So you need to find those next big, big, big deal names because Bendis is leaving too. So you need to find that talent that can really shape what your, what your entire line is going to look like. You have a new editor in chief who just, despite, you know, the Yoshida thing, um, he is new and he is coming in and, it would be nice for him to not necessarily clean house, but it would be nice for him to bring in new people to do things that other guys weren't doing before. And that's on writing and art front. Um, I'd really like Marvel books to not kind of look the same. (laughs) That's always the thing with me. I'd really like to see more artists be brought in who do really different things. And, and really Mm -hmm. that that's it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I think that that point about um like them not having their like their it people anymore is really uh is really poignant and I think I think that's kind of that's kind of where I'm where I'm at too as well. Just like I totally agree with that. Like I think I I think I absolutely think that Marvel should give Al Ewing um the Avengers after like you know him and him and Mark Wade and Jim Zub are doing the you know no surrender thing and they should totally let Al Ewing write write their big Avengers books going forward like i think that would be awesome i don't know that it's confirmed that slots leaving spider-man i think that that's i think that's like a, a pretty sure thing but it's not like a for sure for sure mm-hmm. thing but i don't know but i think it would be i think zadarsky would be a great choice to write um amazing spider-man going forward like i think that would be i think that would be awesome um yeah i think for me like like my big hope hope for them is like that they they kind of like they 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 find that you know cohesion again and like they find those those it people um like i think al ewing is one of them uh like i think kelly thompson is is slowly becoming one of them uh like i think tom taylor is going to become one of those people um for them and like just like establish that it group and like and like find that 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 indie talent like those those new indie writers that can like come in and just like 
bring these these new voices and these these new perspectives to their characters that are not going to tell the same old Dan Slott, Mark Wade, Peter David, whatever story over and over again. Um, and I think they can do that. I think I think there's I think there's some hope they, there. They should let um, Tom Taylor have X Men. Yeah, they should. <laughs> I, I I think X Men Red is going to be great. Um, like I have I, I have too. high hopes for that. Yeah, give yeah. Tom Taylor the keys to just a huge universe, and he's going to make it really fun and interesting and accessible and pack a lot into it. I it what's really yeah. weird about Tom Taylor is that I did not know who he was until the Injustice comic and I have mm-hmm. never played that game, but someone told me it was good and I didn't believe them. The first couple mm-hmm. years of the Injustice comic because he's doing basically whatever he wants in the context of that game, it's really yeah. good. <laughs> it's dark yeah, but it's so it has no business being that good and it's it was so good yeah. i mean i fell off of it after he left but i i'm i yeah. want to catch up again because i i know that he's finishing it like he's writing he's writing it now he's writing yeah he's writing injustice 2 now and and those are just as good as it's, what he was it's writing crazy before. like that's and and, and i feel yeah. like if you give him the x-men universe and just let him go i i think i don't know i think the X-Men universe could be really exciting again. Yeah, For sure. I, I was, For I was sure. saying this last episode too, but uh, yeah, Tom Taylor, a, a lot of people who don't usually read DC comics end up reading injustice and that ends up being their sort of gateway. So I see Tom Taylor as a sort of gateway creator who can tie together really large universes. And that would be really great for Marvel to have right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, no, definitely. And definitely with the X-Men too. Yeah. And then I love what you mentioned, uh, Kelly Thompson. I love her. <laughs> I, I really loved Hawkeye. That was uh, just off of my list of my top three. Um, yeah. She, she's very good at creating uh, characters that you can really care about and creating a little world for each character to inhabit on their own. And I think that's really useful uh, in a shared comic book universe so that not everything feels the same. For sure. For sure. Sure. You got any, you got any final thoughts for we for we pack up, go into the next year? No, um, I'm good. Yeah. Marvel, just look at what's happening around you in comics and just try to learn some lessons. I feel like they keep going into just past mistakes and just not learning, but there is lessons to be learned all around them in both DC and the huge vast amount of indie comics that are becoming more and more popular. For sure. For sure. Well, folks, that's, that's it for this year. We'll be back in, in 2018. Um, Jess, Nick, thank you both for, for being on the show. Where can people find you on the larger interwebs if they want to, um, if they want to keep keep chatting or follow you, uh, I, I'm writing at Multiversity Comics uh, and also at Geeked Out Nation. And then you can find me on Twitter at JustCamNJ. Um, I try to tweet about comics, but mostly it's just a wrestling fan account now. So you've been warned. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's true. It, that, that's all I tweet about now. <laughs> I've learned so much about wrestling. It's, so it's so good. It's so pure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And uh, Nick, what you about can you? Find me at uh, on Twitter at Limel two three two. That is L I M E L two three two. And uh, 
Um, honestly, I don't know how to define my brand on Twitter. <laughs> um, strange absurdism and 90s techno. So uh, yeah, if that go. sounds like your thing, follow me. I'm also, I'll nice. write on a multiversity. Yeah. Nice. And you can find me writing at multiversity as well. And on Twitter at KB Gregory, uh, 13. Um, I mostly just retweet my myself because I'm narcissistic. <laughs> um, but if you're into uh, fun narcissism, uh, yeah, do that. Follow. Um, all right. Thank you all. And uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of 2017 and a great 2018. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.